0: you my own. Can y'all hear me? You hear me. Good. Good. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and work on getting started tonight. I, I was just having a conversation a little bit ago with somebody about all the rain we've been at we've been having. But uh, isn't it interesting how the seasons beginning to change? You kind of feel it just a little bit, you know. And of course, you know, to go from ninety five degrees to eighty eight degrees, depending on where you're from, may not seem significant. But I think to us, it feels a little bit better, you know. So we'll take it. That's it's, it's a, something to rejoice about. I had a friend one time who uh, lived in Minnesota and, and I was talking to him and I said, I said, I'm a Southern boy. I said, I, I don't know how y'all tolerate the winter. And he said, well, about three months out of the year, you don't go outside much. And then he said, but I expect three months out of the year, you don't go outside much either. <laughs> and, I, and I said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, at any rate, but, uh, but I think there's a little bit of a change. So it's kind of nice to see. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer in just a few minutes. Uh, So I'm going to make a few uh, mentions of folks we'll mention in the prayer. But y'all think about it. And in a minute, I'll ask y'all if y'all have any you want to add to it. Uh, Certainly, we want to keep Billy Hambrick's family in our prayer, in the loss of Billy. And then, uh, you know, Thelma Hunt's sister passed. So we want to keep her family in our prayer also. And and, uh, I guess still the Bedgood family in the loss of Tony. Um... Of course, the ongoing pandemic. Uh, any other any other prayer requests that y'all would like to have mentioned tonight in prayer? Becky Rhodes. Okay, All right. Uh, just her ongoing dealing with. I'm, I'm maybe out of date here. Sleeping more is she? Okay. All right. Hmm. Oh, Right. I knew she had cancer, but I just. Okay, that's fine. I just. Really yeah, I had tried to reach out to him didn't get anything back so I figured he wasn't doing real well, so yeah, okay well, let's let's pray together, God our Father, we are grateful that we can be here tonight. we're thankful, Father, for our brothers and sisters in Christ that are here and, and others and Father, we're just thankful that, that you give us the opportunity to be together and to share. Uh, the love that we have uh, for one another and, and for others. Uh, we pray tonight in particular for families that have lost loved ones and certainly we pray, continue to pray for Billy Hambrick's family. Uh, we also recognize Thelma Hunt lost a sister and, and we pray for that family also. We continue to remember the Bedgood family and their loss of Tony. Father, we know others are dealing with other problems tonight. Uh, also, Becky Rhodes has been mentioned in the ongoing problems she's having with uh, sleepiness and be with her father. She deals with the cancer diagnosis that, uh, that she has. And we pray for those in the congregation that have been diagnosed and are dealing with COVID in one way or the other. We certainly pray for them. In particular, Brian Joukowsky has been mentioned tonight. Uh, is not doing well, and we certainly pray for him. And... And for all their family, Father, also as they deal with this and the complications that arise from it. Father, we do continue to pray for an end of the pandemic as soon as possible, and uh, we pray Father that um, we'll be able to uh, do the things that we can do now, Father, with uh, the right precautions and, and be grateful for those things. Above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We're thankful for his love for us and, and your love for us expressed to us through Jesus. And we pray in His name, Amen. All right. Well, um, welcome back to those of y'all that are that are back this week. That were here last week. Glad to have you. And if for someone new here, we we'll appreciate that too. Appreciate you coming. I know we have a few folks from other congregations that are here, and we're thankful for them also for for being here. You know, we um, we're going to pick back up tonight. Just so you can go ahead and turn there in First Timothy chapter one. We'll actually start at verse 12 in just a few minutes uh, when we get started. The, last week, I, I mentioned you all thinking about if you had, uh, were aware that you were preaching sermons. You know, we were talking about how Timothy was a, a young preacher, and Paul's advice to him about that was important, not just for those people that get up behind the, the pulpit, uh, but, but also for those folks that, all of us, right? Because we all preach some sermon or give some example every day to somebody. And in, in many people, that's the only Bible they see. That's the only expression they see of Christianity, maybe is is you, be it at work or at school or, or wherever. So, so we're all preaching a sermon of some type or another all the time. And, and, and I think thereby, there are things for us to, to learn from this book. I, I mentioned last week, just to touch on a few things, uh, that I picked on a few key verses that I would call thematic verses, uh, one of which is, um, the first Timothy chapter one, verse five, where he says the goal of our instruction is is love, love from a, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Well, it's powerful, right? And, and it's focused really at an individual level, uh, but, but important for all of us as individuals. But the other focus in, in first Timothy is, is more at an assembly level or congregational level. And, and the verse I've picked at for that was 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. If you just turn a page or two, you can see that. And I mentioned last week using the electronic Bible. Uh, there he says, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So... Um, there's that focus in terms of a congregational or assembly level and how we should conduct ourselves and and what things are important there. And and obviously there's some things addressed in this book and many things addressed in in other books. So so let's dig in. Let's really uh, begin to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. As I told you, I want to start at verse 12. Uh, So that's where we'll start. And I'll read from verse 12 down through verse 17. He says there, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, Amen now, we can all agree that resolving our sin problem is, is a big deal and in in this particular passage, uh, Paul is using himself as, as an example of God's willingness to to really take that on no matter how bad your situation is. when he refers to himself as the foremost of all, well I think that's what he means and and there is a lesson to be learned there. And I think this passage is really about that we serve a, a loving God who is willing to forgive all of us, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, if we come back to Him in, in obedient faith. And, and we'll talk about that in just a minute uh, and sort of dig into that. But but there is another aspect of this passage that I want us to, to think about, maybe think a little bit more deeply about. <clears throat> Paul touches on his acting ignorantly and in unbelief. Now, a little bit of a rhetorical question. Does that mean that all who act ignorantly and in unbelief will be saved? Right, well, I see some heads shaking. There's another part to that, right? And i, I, I but before we dig into the answer to that in detail... I wanted to point out to you that a lot of times the way you hear that question is not, do those that act ignorantly and in unbelief will they be saved? What you hear is a question that comes to you maybe like this What about that person that's somewhere on some continent where where they've never heard the gospel? You know, is that person going to be saved or not? All right, I'm going to give you a really complicated answer no. Now, why do I think that? Let's, let's, let's look at Scripture. Let's look at what Scripture says about that question. Now, as we sort of explore this together, look at, let's start with the passage itself. What does the passage itself say? Well, remember that the uh, verse numbering that we have and even much of the punctuation that we have in Scripture is what? It's been added by men through the, through the years, right? So if you were to take away a little bit of that in this, in this passage itself, let's, let's look at that. <clears throat> All right, verse 13 and 14. Uh, you got it up on the screen. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. So he mentions some other things there, right? Other than his acting ignorantly and in unbelief, he mentions what? He mentions grace, he mentions faith, he mentions love, and he mentions what? Being, uh, having been found, these things having been found in Christ Jesus. Let me highlight those words in particular and let's talk about each one a bit. Grace. Well, grace, grace is what? Grace is God, although he doesn't have to, He's willing to do what? He's willing to overlook our sin. He has made a way for that to be possible. Well, that's a graceful act. That is, as we say, unmerited by us, favor. Right? He mentions faith. You know, I mentioned last week that a lot of times Paul will use these single words that maybe he he fully developed somewhere else in Scripture and, and there's a lot more depth to it where he talks about it somewhere else. But then he still uses the word in some places, and the word is really, really packed with meaning. And sometimes we can just sort of read right over it. Well, well, you read right over it, but hopefully you think about some of those other things that have been described about it. So when he mentions faith here, whose faith? Well, I think he's talking about God's faith and our faith. You know, God's faith is active toward us. He's faithful in the fulfilling of the covenants that he has made well we need to do what our faith should be an obedient faith so so faith is important he mentions love well we've already talked about first timothy chapter 1 verse 5 mentioning love and there're many other places where love is mentioned and, and certainly we demonstrated that with a few different verses last week when we got together and spoke about it and then the last reference here in terms of being finding these things in Christ I'm reminded of Galatians 3.27, which is what? We are baptized into Christ Jesus. Well, before that time, you're not into Christ Jesus. So I think each of these words in this verse are important. And you've got to recognize that the sentence that Paul has is, is more than just the first part. You don't want to ignore the last part in looking at the things that he says. So, so grace, faith, and love all have a have a role to play in each of those different things are, are important. Now, I guess the real basis of the comment I made earlier was uh, sin, even sin committed ignorantly, is still sin. Why, why do I know that? Well, because Jesus says that. A lot of other places, but the place I'd like for you to turn, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We'll look at that together. We're looking at Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 47 through 48. And there scripture says, And and that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. Verse 48 in particular. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few, a few lashes, right? That's what's being referenced here. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Now this passage is really more focused on the responsibility of the person who knows more, but he does mention in here, what about the person that didn't know, but yet committed sin? Well, well, Jesus says, well, he, he will deserve some punishment, lighter punishment, but he will deserve deserve punishment. So it's one of the reasons why I answered no a few minutes ago with the question of what about the person who's out there who's never heard anything about Jesus? Certainly we have a responsibility to tell them about Jesus, right? But another, another reason behind that answer is is sin itself. And, and what is sin? Sin as articulated in the Old Testament and New Testament is what? It is a, a disobedience to God. It is, it is what separates us from from God. So if I am guilty of sin. Well that sin. Separates me from God. The, the classic passage is what Isaiah 59. You look at the first couple of verses there. and it mentions, is, it mentions that our sin. Separates us from God. So. So if we have this sin. We have this sin separation from God. How do we deal with it? Well. Look back at what Paul says. Now, now, Paul committed pretty bad sins, right? I mean, how many of you all have blasphemed God and murdered Christians? Well, well, well probably not many, right? Probably none on the murdering for sure, right? So, but, but Paul had done those. And yet, God was willing to forgive him, but his sins were not forgiven until when? Well, think about Acts 22. Turn there for just a minute. Many of you may be able to quote the verse, but Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16 You know, Paul had had done what? He had been on the road to Damascus. Jesus had appeared to him or spoken to him on the road to Damascus. He was made blind. He was blind for three days and after three days, the scales fell from his eye or they were like scales falling from his eyes. Do you think if Jesus spoke to you and you were blind for three days and then you weren't blind, do you think you would believe? Yes. Yes. I don't think there was any doubt that Paul believed at that point. But Acts twenty-two sixteen 16 says what? His sins were still with him. Forgiveness requires baptism. Uh, when you look at verse 16, it says, you know, Ananias says to Paul, says, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So even though Paul no doubt had strong belief at that point, he still had something to do. And Ananias delivered that message. So that's another reason. Even Paul had to deal with his sins in the way that God had, had said for his sins to be dealt with or our sins to be dealt with. Now, our forgiveness, again, we mentioned grace earlier. Well, our forgiveness clearly requires the grace of God. We do not earn it. Even though we're obedient, even though we do what God says, that, that doesn't earn it. Right. We're just being obedient to a graceful God who said, if you do these things, then, you know, then I'm willing to forgive you. Uh, it's, it's developed more, probably the more familiar passage in, is in Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse eight through ten. For by grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So grace is certainly a part of the answer here, um, but the requirement of being saved by that grace through faith is still there. Another reason why my answer was no a few minutes ago. Jesus himself says in in John 14, verse 6, says what? What does he say? He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then what does he say? No one. Rachel's right. No one comes to the Father but by me. No one. Well, that, I don't know. That's pretty clear. Now, you may say, well, yeah, but that's, that's pretty cold, right? And you say, well... You know, that's pretty cold. But what does God say? Interesting ring by somebody. That's good. But what does God say? God says, I'm not that cold. God says, if you seek me... Is there something I'm doing? I don't know. God, God says very clearly in the Old Testament several times and in the New, He says what? If you seek me, you will... Find me. You'll find me. So if there is a sincere seeker out there, they will have the opportunity to find God. Jesus also, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus also addresses this issue when he talks about ask, seek, knock. Uh, Ask, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 10. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? So my point is... It is in the very nature of God to reveal himself if you're searching for him. Now, <clears throat> praise God, we're part of a congregation here that prioritizes helping to make that easier for people. Here in Montgomery and literally around the world. I am so thankful for the work that's done in our missions area in mission team in multiple areas around the world, because what are they doing? They are making it easier for someone to be able to to find, you know, if they're seeking, they're making it easier for someone to be able to find what God has to, to offer. Again, God gracefully provides a way for us to be reconciled back to him. And it is graceful and it is thoughtful and it is loving And he will make himself available. I believe that because because of what the Bible says. Now, certainly if you all uh, see that differently, I'll be glad to visit with you and we can talk more about it. I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Non-threatening, non-challenging, but I would love to to talk about that more. But I think there are a lot of clear biblical principles involved uh, that God will make himself available to people that are searching for him. All right. I'm going to move on. I want to look at the command that that Paul gives to Timothy. So we're back in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to look at verses 18 and 19. He says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience. I'm going to stop there because the other part I'm going to get to in just a minute. He says what? He says prophecies have been made about you. He says, fight the good fight, keep the faith and a good conscience. Timothy needed encouragement. You know, we need encouragement. I would encourage you, if you're really wanting to get into the, the topic of encouragement more and think and delve into it more deeply on Sunday mornings. Uh, Sam, raise your hand. Yeah, Sam Bochelle is here. Uh, and John Kackelman is, I hadn't seen John tonight, but John is part of the, the, the two folks that are the team that are teaching that class and the young professionals class focusing on encouragement. And I would encourage you to, to look at that class if that's a topic you want to dig more into. Uh, but, but I particularly want to point out if, if Timothy needed encouragement, I need encouragement. I know I need encouragement. And probably you do too. Now... Now, the second part of verse 19, and I'm going to go back and start in verse 18, and we're going to read through verse 20, and then we're going to focus on that last part. Again, starting in verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keep faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Think about people you encounter. I have religious friends that say if you're really saved, it's impossible for you to walk away. Well, Scripture says what? It is possible. For you to walk away. Now scripture does say no one else can snatch you out of God's hand. But you can. You can walk away from him. This is is only one spot. This is only one spot where that sort of thing is mentioned. You can fall. Or here as it says. Suffer a shipwreck. In regard to your faith. Other verses that relate to this. Think about Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. Scripture says there, it says, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. As kindly as I can say it. I want to say that it's not the saying, once saved, always saved. It's not that. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not, well, you must not have really been saved. It's not that. Why? Yes, he does say that. And even looking specifically at this passage and these kinds of passages, Galatians 5 and uh, what does it say? Verse 4, you can fall from grace. Well, you cannot fall from somewhere you've never been. So he says you can fall from grace. Well, you've been there. Some of you have been there. And you can fall. It is possible. But if that verse is not clear enough for you, turn in your Bibles, uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to look at another verse. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. There the Bible says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify themselves, to, crucify to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. The Scripture saying, if you persist in disobeying God, you will remain fallen. But it makes the point that if you, Scripture as a whole makes the point that if you will humbly repent, God will do what? He'll take you back. Right? He'll take you back. He did it for Israel time and time again. Right? You know, our Sunday morning series, We Are Israel, I think is a very wonderful application and study in looking at the parallels between what happened to Israel and what happens to us. You know, the point this past Sunday morning that was made, what, the, uh, I'm trying to think of the exact word that uh, Jeremy used. Let me find the word here, deliverance. Over and over again, God did what? He delivered Israel. When they came back to him, well, he will, he will deliver us if we come back to him. Now, I'm going to shift our focus a little bit, okay? Personal question, you don't have to answer it out loud, I will. Okay, the question is this. Have you ever been fired? Have you ever been fired from a job? I have. I have. Now, of course, I mean either justifiably or unjustifiably. And of course, sometimes that's in the eye of the beholder, right? But, but I have been. Well, you don't recognize it at the time. And it doesn't feel that way. But sometimes it can be a good thing. Why do I say that? Well, sometimes it may help you to realize that, hey, this job I, I was doing just for whatever reason wouldn't a fit you know just didn't fit me well and and sometimes you'll you'll actually go on to whatever that next job is and and you'll go, "Oh, wow, this is great, you know I mean I, it actually found a much better fit you know that. That can happen. Some of you may have had that experience. One other possibility I'd like for you to consider is that maybe that if you've ever been fired, it maybe it helped you what? Realize some things about yourself. You know, maybe maybe I do have some areas where I have deficits, things that I need to work on. Now I've been on both ends of the firing equation because I've been an employer or right? so I've done it both both ways, but 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 and it doesn't feel good at the time. For either half of that equation. But if it helps me to realize some things about myself and if it helps me to improve on those things, maybe in the long run, doesn't feel like it in the short run, but maybe in the long run, it's a, it's a benefit. Now, why do I even talk about that? You know, firing is going to help me build a better me. Okay, why, why do I even talk about that? Well, think about this passage. What happened? In this passage, you know, Paul says he handed these two over to Satan to put, or he put them out of the church, right? be the other way to say it. Now, it's not quite the same as being fired. We know that. But why did Paul do it? Why did he do it? Out of love, is that what I heard? Out of love, okay. All right, that'd be one way to put it, right? Was it to be vindictive or to see them suffer? Bob says no. I'm going to give you a really complicated answer. No. It was not for those reasons. Why, why, why did he do it? You know, well, he did it for their good. So that they might be taught not to, to blaspheme is, is the phrase that he uses. Now I'm going to read some of this just because I want to make sure I say it correctly. You know, the appropriate practice of church discipline is meant to be for the good of the individual's discipline. Now, it also serves as a reminder for what? For the rest of us. It's a reminder that it is possible to fall and that there can be consequences from that. But the appropriate loving practice of church discipline is sometimes necessary. I'm sorry I, I must be doing something to do that and I apologize for the destruction but it is important for congregations to, to, to manage situations where there is really bad public influence of members that are out there and there has to be judgment involved and in, in how do you do that and how do you go about that but that doesn't negate the fact that it is a, it is a, a necessary tool at times nobody wants to do that any more than you have to but if you do it, you want to do it lovingly and you want to do it with the goal of what? Of bringing somebody back. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I want to look at the first five verses. It's a situation that many of us are familiar with that occurs in Scripture here. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. So the the kind but appropriate practice of church discipline is what? It's not about being vindictive. It's not about being humiliating. It's about our concern for somebody's soul and our attempt when everything else has been exhausted, our attempt to help bring them back. Now, it's got to be done in love. And it's got to be done in a way, what, that we... We pay attention to ourselves that we don't somehow fall in the process. So tough, tough lessons, tough, tough biblical teaching. But at, but at the same time, it's it's there, and and we we need to pay careful attention to it. I do want you to look. We're going to move on uh, again. I'd, I'd be glad to have discussions with you all about that topic. And, and if you see it differently from me, certainly let me know that. And I'll be glad to talk with you about it and and look forward to that sort of engagement. Let's look at chapter 2. I want to look at the first couple of verses about chapter 2. It says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving for who? For, for all. And in particular, he points out what? Kings and those who are in authority. Right? So, you know, obviously government forms change over the years and the, the, we don't have kings, but we have, we have people who are there in lead in government. Why should we pray for them? What reason does he give here? What's his reasoning? So that we may... Yeah, live quiet and tranquil lives, right? He, he mentions that in, in all godliness and dignity, as the scripture says. You know, dignity. Uh, i looked up a dictionary definition of dignity. The state or quality of being worthy of honor or respect. I think we all want that. We all want to be respected or at least treated fairly. I don't know anybody that wants to be disrespected or wants to be chided or humiliated in any way. We, we want that. Not many people want to be belittled. leading an undignified life and making undignified comments is not reflective of what the Christian life is about. Right? We want to be treated with dignity, but we want to lead a dignified life. To lead a dignified life, you have to do what? You have to live a life in in dignity and, and do and show the kind of respect that we should show. Now, he points out here about government leaders and, and the Bible does that. And I'll show you a couple of other verses in just a minute. But the Bible's pretty clear about the attitude we are to have toward government leaders. It mentions here praying for them and for those who are in authority. Well, that's, that's a direct command from God. Look at Romans 13. A good bit there about government. But in particular, I want to look at Romans 13 and verse 7. It says, Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Respect to whom respect. Honor to whom honor. That's our responsibility. Another place, First Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. If anyone, our children or, or anyone, sees us being disrespectful of government authorities or, or whoever, well, that's going to do what? It's going to raise several questions for them. No, it's going to raise questions about, okay, Robert, how do you make this connection between what the Bible says and what you actually do? Because the Bible's pretty clear. Are we respectful? If they see me breaking a commandment like that, what's that going to tell them about my life? Now, God knows what? He knows none of our leaders are perfect. He knows that. It's not like, oh, God didn't know somebody's immoral. No, he, He knows that. Do you think any of those Roman emperors were immoral? Yeah, commonly. But yet God says what? Respect and honor the emperor. So we still, have, we still have something to do. It was, now, do you think that was easy for the first century Christians to do? No. Do you think it's easy for us to do? Not always, right? It can be very difficult to do that. But that doesn't change the fact that, that it's a command. you know, and, and we go through this all the time and we have to sort of look at how do we interact, how do we engage, but but here's a tough question. Are we allowing our rights as Americans to walk all over biblical commands? I should ask, am I doing that? Now in America, fortunately, we have the freedom to do what? We have the freedom to, to complain, basically. <laughs> You know, we have the freedom to to raise the other side of issues. We have the freedom to disagree with our leaders. It's one thing to be disagreed with. It's another thing to be disrespected. Brothers, we have to be careful about that. I don't know. It it would be interesting to me to hear from the teachers. uh, Teachers that teach. uh, And I know we've got at least a couple of high school teachers in the room. Probably many others. I'd be interested to know maybe in another format, but I'd be interested to know why you think young people walk away from the church. Well, I don't know all the reasons and there are a lot of different reasons, right? They're not all the same, but, but I know that I've been exposed to some people that walk away from the church because why? Because they see our failures. Well, we all have failures. They have failures, right? As teenage, the young people have failures. It's not that that's unique you know but but when they see us persistently be hypocritical or persistently be disobedient to clear commands from god some of them become what disillusioned disillusioned well, i don't want to be the cause of that disillusion disillusionment i don't want to be the one that triggers that i know you don't either and I know we have to, to, to struggle with this in the sense of how do we best obey and how do we do that. Uh, but, but this idea of being genuine, this idea of not being hypocritical is, is real. And I think one of the ways, and I've been guilty of being disrespectful about certain situations. But I think that's one of the ways that, that our young people get disgusted with us. So let's, think, let's all think about that and, and look at it carefully going forward because I know none of us really want to add to that uh, either now or any time in the future. Now, as I told some of y'all before I started teaching this class, I knew there were going to be some challenging things that came up in the class. So hopefully you've, you've, you will look at these, go back, study this chapter again, study uh, related verses to these verses that are here and certainly be glad to, to dialogue with you about it more. I know we're about out of time, so I'm going to end on a On a positive note, and the positive note is this, (laughs) a pretty place. Uh, Vacation not too long ago was up in the mountains on Mount Mitchell in North Carolina. And this picture was taken up there. That's not Mount Mitchell in the background. I'm actually standing on Mount Mitchell when I took the picture. But it's good to think about being in a a beautiful place. So thank you all for paying careful attention tonight. And let me encourage you to really study these issues and really challenge yourselves. And I'm going to challenge myself. Thank you again.